Hi, and welcome to the Local Homeschoolers Podcast, where you come for local resources and encouragement. I'm your host, Autumn Frisbee. Hi, everyone. We're, we're here with Michelle Howard from the Living Learning Library, and let's get started today. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, your family, or anything else you'd like to share? Absolutely, and thank you for having me. Um, I was uh, the least per- person. I, I let me let me start over again. I was the person least likely to home educate. I always said, but I definitely love books, and the two of them came together in the work that we're doing now. I ended up actually being a home educator for 25 years, and they were the most significant in my entire life. I don't think I'll ever do anything that was as meaningful as and enjoyable as that. I had kind of two sets of kids. Uh, my oldest is 40 and my next is 36. So that tells you that I'm quite a bit older than you, Autumn. And then there was a huge break and I had two more. Um, He's 21 and just graduated from college on Sunday. And then I have a 20-year-old daughter. I also have seven grandsons. So it was was just an awesome experience to educate them. I cannot tell you how meaningful it was. And of course, high quality literature became a big part of that. That's so great. And I love hearing that you have a big family and um, all of that experience behind you. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about the inspiration behind the Living Learning Library and how did it come to be? What is your role in that? I'm sorry. What is your role in that? Um, the foundation of the library? Okay, absolutely. And it kind of ties in too with what are living books, which I, I think we'll probably get to as well. Once I began discovering that there was a a a really rich type of literature and that it had a profound impact on my kids, Um, especially when I started out with these two boys that were, you know, they're boys, they're rambunctious, they're energetic, and they don't care about getting a star at the top of their paper. And they don't care, as I say, about the deeds and dates of dead people. They really wanted to have impact and power and and they, they wanted to learn courage and truth and all of these things. I realized that the standard educational materials just were not doing that. And so I began uh, learning about these types of great biographies and great historical fiction and things like that. And so I thought, well, that's great. I'm just going to go to the public library and get those. Much to my disappointment, they were no longer available in public libraries since um, the goal of most public libraries, at least per the, the instruction in library science I had at University of Alabama, is that their goal is to offer what is trending, what is very, very current. And the standard formula is to only have books on the shelves for about two years in the nonfiction section and five in the fiction section. So they have a completely different purpose. They're wanting to offer what what's just coming out now. So I realized that due to changes in the culture, a lot of the books that my boys found most riveting actually had been printed prior to that time. So I knew that if I was going to have them, I was going to have to seek them out. And once I once I started finding them in great numbers, pretty soon my friends wanted to borrow them and we began sharing. That ended up being a library up in Michigan, um, the first known library of its type. And that library is now in its 26th year. We have over 20,000 volumes and have a wonderful a volunteer team that keeps it running. And then life changes brought me to Florida here. So I'm like, nope, not gonna, not gonna be without another library. Want to be able to uh, give this experience to kids, give them this option of this type of literature wherever I am. So we started this library about four and a half years ago. And uh, we have about 23,000 books here now. So it is the largest uh, now in the country of this type that we know of. And uh, we are 501c3 here. And once we get to talk more about the book, you'll understand why we put the 16 to 20 hour a day um, (laughs) work sessions in to make this happen because the impact on kids and the learning power and the character development power and the soul touching power is really, really significant. 
Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And then, so your background is actually in library science. That is what I ended up doing my senior project in. My degree was in communications, but my goal had been to be a doctor starting when I was a little girl. I would come home from kindergarten and read medical books because I just loved reading so much always. Um, But the Lord just had a different plan for me, and here I am. But everything that's ever been in the past comes into bear because when you're a librarian, you end up helping all the kids and all the families studying all sorts of different topics. Yeah. And then describe what you mean by the living books. I know um, that your books that you have there are very special and valuable. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, they are, they're completely different from what is the standard issue book of today, because as the culture changes, so too does, you know, everything, uh, values, politics, law, society, economics, you know, everything. And so, yes, even, even youth literature even changes. So what's popular right now is kind of a techie view, if I were to describe it. Um, so they're, the, the, the current books tend to be separated into what I call two-page spreads. There'll be even borders around each two pages as you open up the book to highly segment that section. It'll usually have its own title. And instead of a flowing narrative text, there'll be lots of little factoids arranged around it, either in graphic boxes or in different arrangements. And then there'll usually be a large image in the center of each two-page spread. And that image will come from a machine, whether it be a camera or like a computer generation. So the the focus is kind of like as if um, the process of learning was the downloading of a lot of separate um, factoidy, you know, pieces of data. And that kind of fits with the whole tech wave that's going on in the country right now. And so you can imagine why, you know, that might seem like that's the thing. But oops, I'm sorry, something fell in the background. Guess what? It was a huge stack of books. I know you're not one bit surprised. (laughs) Anyway, the thing is, is that it, my, my heart is that, yes, you know, the mind does have fantastic capacities to learn things, but there's so much more to a human being than just our brain, than just our cerebrum. And so I'm not talking about the viewpoints of any particular librarian right now, but just, uh, but only just sharing my own. I love to see that literature touches deep down into the immaterial part of the reader too, not just their brain where they're going to, you know, memorize data that you could almost like measure on an MRI or something, but actually that soul way deep down inside of a boy or a girl where their masculinity is growing, where their femininity is growing, where their patriotism is growing, you know, where their courage is growing, their self-sacrifice is growing, where their grasp of of human history is growing, where their grasp of this incredible universe that, you know, God made for us is growing. These things are more than can just be measured with electricity or with testing. There's, there's ideals that come up out of there and qualities and values that grow up. And so that kind of, in my opinion, can't be accomplished with a factoid, but instead it takes language, actual rich unbroken flowing language to transport someone outside of themselves and outside of self-focus and get them back in time or, you know, up on top of Mount McKinley or, you know, whatever, where they're actually really experiencing things. And that is why these books are called living books, because instead of being separated into a lot of these, you know, factoidy two-page spreads, it's one continuous flowing narrative from beginning to end. And that's, you know, what I grew up with anyway. So, but even if it's a science book, even if it's about magnets, even if it's about geography, if it's about plate tectonics, if it's about um, Alfred the Great, it's a continuous flowing thing that has such rich language that the learner is, the reader is actually inside of that world at the moment. And then the illustrations will be done by a human artist. 
um, you know, an, a watercolorist, a painter, you know, a drawer, an etching, something like that. So they have a completely different feel. But because they don't just focus on the superficial factoid element of something, but the deeper um, nature of that thing, then that allows uh, for a deeper retention, a deeper experience, a deeper connection, and deeper motivations, deeper inspiration, and deeper um, inculcation and synthesis of the highest values and ideas that are, you know, so far above any mere factoid. So that is the nature of living books. So there are a lot of them are biographies about great people, but you, again, you're meeting them. You're seeing how they started out as a young boy or as a young girl and how they had all these um, stretching experiences, growing experiences, transformative experiences, and how they, they became someone that contributed to the nation or to the world in some way. And that it's a vicarious experience that's deeply expanding. And so um, true language and true art, in my opinion, touches way deep down. And that's, again, why they're called living, because not only is it like the book is living, but it takes up permanent residence in the reader. They don't forget it. They live with it. It lives inside of them forever. I could tell you story after story after story after story about how, you know, 15 years later, it's still there because it was so vibrant when it came in. So I, I hope that's um, I hope that's a quick explanation of a very powerful feature of these great books. Yeah, and I think that it does. I think that when you look at how you're educating your child, whether they're in public school or homeschooled, you want to be giving them valuable, quality books to read. And um, really, that's what you're offering. And what what would you say to um, someone who is, you know, just going to the library and kind of seeing what's out there? What is, um, how has that changed over the years as far as what's available at the library versus what's available at your living learning library? Well, that's an excellent question. And I'm glad that you pointed out public or homeschool or private. It doesn't matter the, the methodology of, uh, you know, how a child's or teen's education is occurring. We can get them the best literature no matter what. All of education for the last 10,000 years, basically, until, you know, some time ago was actually usually reading the best book by the best author and then discussing it deeply. So it, it, it almost transcends different styles of education. But for me, if, if the language is so rich that it doesn't need a lot of artificial props and inducements, that's a good sign for me. If I see a book that's PC, um, again, not only just separated into two-page spreads, but even has a lot of little graphic boxes, that says to me that they felt like they had to maybe do something to um, incite the reader uh, rather than just the highest quality language simply sweeping them away. If it's a if, if you're in a flood, if you're in a fast moving river, you can't help but be swept away. And so great language and great art, not machined art, not not from a computer, not from a, a camera usually is a sign that there was a, a, an artistic quality that was being put into the book. It wasn't mass produced, et cetera, but real thought went in from a, a caring author and a dedicated artist rather than just assembling some factoids and then, you know, assembling some photos from some sort of a clip, what, you know, clip website or something like that. I you just, I don't know. It's like artisanal bread versus, you know, straight out of the, the wonder bread bag. You know, you just can tell when somebody handcrafted that loaf of sourdough with the crusty top and they just loved what they were doing. So, um, you know, reach, reach for a book that looks artisanal. And those are hard to find. I feel like in mm -hmm. a public library right now, these days, what is your thoughts on that? Yes, again, because the the 
mindset um, uh, of most libraries is to to offer what is immediate and what is current. And I've I thought of libraries as being like the archives of all that was ever good, but that doesn't seem to be the trend. And, and more, it's like what's on the top 100. You know, what's current in movies or TVs or you know TV shows or whatever. So it, it definitely is quite quite a different situation. And so we have to be quite mindful then about pursuing that, which is best. I, I recently did some research and just walked into a particular library, no, no names being needed. And I noticed that about two thirds of the youth biographies by a rough estimate were about sports figures. And of the remaining one third, I would say that over 95% were about either movie stars or music stars. And you put all that together and virtually every biography was about an entertainer. And I thought if I was a nine-year-old boy or a 13 year old 13 year old girl standing there wow that would be a pretty potent or tacit statement and i don't even know that anybody is meant to make that statement but it's kind of saying that you know if you want to be somebody be an entertainer and that the purpose of life is to be entertained and of course we know that the that entertainment can be enjoyable in in, in a measure but there's a, so much higher purpose to that i think there were 12 biographies about tom brady and yeah the guys won seven super bowls but next to it it would have been great if there had been something about joseph brandt the american indian leader the American Revolution. There were a couple of books about Jim Henson. And as I say, who no one hates Kermit the Frog. That's fine. But next to it would have been great to have something about Patrick Henry, give me liberty or give me death. So, so as the culture decides even what's important, and so it, uh, then that will change what's on library shelves as well. So it's not just the content of the books. It's also the very nature of the books themselves, as I was addressing earlier, whether it's factoidy and targeted just for the cerebrum, as if that were the entire seat of learning, or whether there's deeper language, deeper art, and even deeper content and, and subjects and topics being covered. Um, and if that's if the latter is what you're seeking, and, and I have seen it just touch kids, you know, over this whole 26 years I've been doing this, even kids that think they hate to read, find out, oh, maybe it's not so much that they hate reading, but maybe they just don't want to browse, you know, a set of factoids with a lot of photographs. Maybe they actually want to enter into a great biography or, or a great challenging story of, of crossing the oceans or, or whatever. And so it's kind of a new experience. So it's, in other words, a living book isn't just like a, 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 a book today, only 2% better. It's a completely other situation. It's completely other in its very nature, and it's going to cover uh, uh, topics infinitely more um, broad and infinitely deeper as well. All sorts of historical events, scientific events, personages, you know, that aren't, that aren't sports stars or movie stars, so might not be found as readily on public library shelves today. Again, I'm not, my job is not to criticize them. My job is to actually offer the alternative for those who, who wish to have it. And you are offering a great alternative. I would say as as I've been a member, reading out loud has become a new thing for us again. It's like re-inspired that love of learning and reading together as a family. Wonderful. And um, and I know so many of the books I check out are very old. So how are you finding these living learning books? Well, and how uh, do you find them? <laughs> I get asked that a lot. In fact, it was a boy that, in fact, I think it was your son yesterday who was saying, where do you find all of these? Uh, it's, kids ask me that quite a lot, but it is really taking years and years of searching. I have some women who are faithful scouts. Every time they're out and about, they're looking around. Um, some booksellers know the type of thing we're after. They reach out to me. Um, you, know, you know, online somewhat, but you have to kind of know what you're looking for. And it gets to be quite expensive and quite cost consuming. You've been here, Autumn, you know how grammed for space we are. So 
Um, it's, it's a major undertaking and it kind of takes years of developing resources and networks to uh, try to have a feeding system to bring them in because they are, they are very precious. And the awareness of these so-called living books is rising very much. And so the, the desirability is increasing. I should say that the public libraries do often sometimes have um, new picture books that I consider to be living um, with beautiful writing and, and beautiful illustrations. But somehow it seems like the culture thinks that it's okay for a picture book to be narrative and artistically illustrated. But somehow as soon as a book becomes quote unquote educational, then it should go over to this tech, techno, you know, technological format that I'm trying to describe. But actually the deepest learning is achieved through the highest quality of language and art, in my opinion. And I had um, kids, you know, doing this all the way up in until they were ready to go into college. And they went right from this type of learning right into honors college. And I was told they were uh, the best prepared student they'd ever had. So um, it's not like this is a, a lesser alternative than more techie type of formats. I think it's actually more profoundly effective and it's way more enjoyable. It also results in a shared family experience as well, like you just addressed, Autumn. When you're reading books together, um, it is it is a vicarious experience. You, you know, you're on the Mayflower together or uh, you know, or you're, you're, you're landing on the D-Day beaches together. It's, it's really, it's a powerful thing. Again, that's why they're called living books. There's a reason. Yeah. And speak to the um, reading about reading living books, even as your children get older. Oh, yes. I know a lot of people, you mentioned that the other day. So if you could talk a little bit about yes, that. Yes, absolutely. That is very much the case. Um, I have read even to high school students and <laughs> my son, when he was in college, even on spring break at one point, he said, hey, mom, you know, I miss the good old days when you were reading. Can you read to me still? So there's no age limit on that whatsoever. That's really sweet. I love that. Um, okay. So just one last question. And as a seasoned homeschool mom yourself, can you give some advice to those families who are um, contemplating homeschooling next year? Um, what would you say is like something that could push them over to just jump into into homeschooling? Well, that's a very, it's a very good question. Um, as I mentioned, when I started out, I hardly even knew how to put it into words. I know I had a stumbling beginning there. It, it, it's because there's so much behind it that it, it just, it almost, <laughs> it defies verbiage and I'm struggling again. It was such a profound experience. I enjoyed it so much and I didn't think I would. I thought that my, because my kids used to bounce off the walls, I would say during summer vacation during school, that I thought homeschooling was going to be just like that only 12 months out of the year. A lot of wall bouncing, a lot of chaos, a lot of stress. In fact, it turned out to be just the opposite. Once we had a shared goal of, of working through the year and learning together, we, there wasn't enough time in the day. So it wasn't like there was all this kind of restless, jaggedy, bouncy time. It was the, a shared focus that tied my kids together and me with them. We literally learned together. We experienced together. And as I mentioned, those sons are 40 and 36 right now, and we're still so close. And I'm not saying you won't be close if you don't home educate, but it's just so meaningful to share such a journey with your own kids. I barely knew them. I was kind of doing the pit stop thing. 
I was just getting them ready, sending them out. They were having the best, uh, most energetic and most alert hours in their day with someone else. And by the time they got home, they were exhausted, spent, enervated. And it was just time basically for me to wash their clothing, you know, pack up, pack up another lunch and, and send them right back out again. So I felt like I was a glorified pit stop. I wasn't spending the heart of their days with them. And I wasn't discussing the most meaningful things. I mean, I meant to in the evenings. It's like, oh, well, we'll always, but no, they were fried by that point or they had basketball practice or, you know, it was time to take out the trash or whatever. The days were slipping away. The years were slipping away. And I just really wanted to share that with them. And of course, you know, I feel like there's such powerful beliefs and faith that I wanted to share with my kids too. And I didn't want that to be just in the leftover hours. I wanted that to be at the core of everything because I do believe that the Lord is at the core of everything. And so I, I just wanted to share that journey with them. So it, it the, and then the other thing too, is I felt like, well, it's going to be a total unknown. I'm going to feel like I'm just stepped off of a, you know, the edge of a cliff and falling into oblivion. And so that fear of the unknown was definitely holding me back as well. But in fact, one does not step into nothingness. One st simply steps onto another platform, that of a, of a, of a curriculum aid or of a library like you're using here, Autumn. There is actually just a panoply, uh, a cornucopia of resources to use. And it's actually extremely enjoyable to figure out which ones are the right fit for your kids. Because this is something that we get to do when we're home educating is we get to customize their educations. In the past, that was reserved for only, you know, maybe the, the, uh, like the wealthy Alexander the Great, his father hired Aristotle to be his tutor. So <laughs> that was the kind of customized learning experience he had. Well, you get to be Aristotle to your Alexander the Great, and you get to impart to them a deep knowing and a deep love and an understanding of who they are, and you get to help them on their journey. You get to um, uh, help them with their weaknesses to overcome them, and you get to help develop their strengths. And they get a chance to really share who they are, and they get to discover that. And that unfolds before your very eyes. And it is so meaningful to be the facilitator of all of that. We don't always, we don't stand behind a lectern and lecture them like, you know, Mr. Wazenon did in eighth grade social studies. Instead, we're sitting with them or uh, beside them as they're having this great journey into great reading and, and hands-on science and all these different things. And it's just, it's just such a vivid experience. I, I, I was sorry when it was over. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so now if families are interested in touring or donating to your library, how can they do that? They can reach us by our website, which is living learning libraries, plural, IES, because we plan to have more branches someday, .org. So living learning libraries .org. All right. Well, Michelle, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. And, um, we look forward to having new members join you and um, having you back on the show at some point. Very good. All right. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast today. If you have a local homeschool story that you would like to share, check us out at localhomeschoolers.com. Special shout out to our sound design by Devin Bowman. Tune in next week to hear our latest episode.